How did the British fight back in 1776? What did Washington do at Trenton? And how did von Steuben improve the army at Valley Forge? These discussions and insights are coming up. Welcome to the U.S. Army History and Heritage Podcast, the official podcast of the United States Army's Center of Military History. The Center of Military History writes and publishes the Army's official history, manages the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise, and provides historical support throughout the U.S. Army. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. I'm Lee Reynolds, the Strategic Communications Officer for the Center of Military History. This is part two of a three-part series of discussions on the Revolutionary War. And joining me is Colonial War Historian, Dr. Glenn Williams. Welcome, Glenn. Glad to be here, Lee. Yeah, so we had you on the first episode talking about the early part of the Revolutionary War, the beginning, some of the tactics. And our discussion got us uh, up through really the uh, British evacuating Boston and then uh, where they were going next. But before we get into the discussion, just a reminder for folks uh, who you are. So Dr. Glenn Williams is a retired Army officer, infantry and ranger. Hua Hua. Uh, he's a published author on the colonial and revolutionary war era and has extensive experience working um, in uh, history locations throughout the United States. Uh, Glenn, tell us a little bit more about yourself that I'm missing here. Okay. Uh, after I retired from the Army, became a historian in my second career. I was an assistant curator of the Baltimore Civil War Museum in President Street Station. I was the historian and curator of the USS Constellation Museum in Baltimore Harbor. Uh, I then went to the U.S. National Park Service, where I served on the American Battlefield Protection Program, and specifically on the American Revolution Study, and uh, then came to um, Center of Military History in 2004, where I worked on the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial and several commemorations, including the Bicentennial of the Civil War, the Sesquicentennial, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the Bicentennial of the War of 1812, the Sesquicentennial of the Civil War, the Centennial of World War I, and now the semi-quincentennial of the Revolutionary War and 250th birthday of the U.S. Army. Right. So we're, we're really kind of excited about that. It's coming up in a couple of years, the 250th birthday of the uh, U.S. Army, but also the commemoration for the 250th of the Revolutionary War. So, and, and we appreciate all the, the time and effort you've put in here at the Center of Military History preparing us for that, so laying the groundwork. And as an expert on that era, you're a perfect guy to do that. So, um, so now let's, let's get back into the discussion here. Um, when we were last talking, the British had um, evacuated Boston. It's now uh, spring of 1776, that really important year. So when the British left Boston, how many British were still in the colonies at the time? Between the evacuation of Boston in March and the ejection of British forces from Virginia uh, in the early summer of 1776 and uh, the, uh, the crushing of a, a loyalist uprising in North Carolina, there are no British forces left in the 13 colonies in the spring of 1776, which is the perfect time mm -hmm. for the Second Continental Congress uh, to debate, consider, and vote on independence. They voted uh, for independence on the 2nd of July and, of course, declared independence on the 4th. 
Yeah, I mean, no, no British forces in the colonies. They, they must have felt emboldened by that. Uh, uh, that's exactly why they took that opportunity to seriously consider independence. Uh, as previous to that, uh, after Lexington and Concord, uh, the Congress uh, offered a what was called the Olive Branch petition to mm-hmm. the king uh, for reconciliation. Uh, the king rejected that in the late summer of 1775, and it became uh, a, a war of rebellion at that time. Mm-hmm. And then with the passage of time, sentiment towards independence and voting on independence, it became the American War of Independence. Yeah, and um, how did the British respond to the Declaration of Independence? Uh, well, uh, they had already had the, 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 the wheels in motion at the time. Um, Great Britain mounted its largest ever overseas military expedition, including uh, getting some of their German allies uh, to uh, augment the British Army with auxiliaries from some of the, the German principalities, and they returned with an invasion of the United States uh, in, in the summer of 1776, first by landing on Staten Island and then crossing over uh, to Long Island, where uh, Washington had some of the Continental Army deployed. It was Where was Washington at the time? He- Washington had his headquarters on Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, part of the army was deployed uh, on Long Island near uh, Brooklyn, what's present city of Brooklyn, and some mm-hmm. of the rest of the forces on Manhattan Island as well. And, and what happened with the Battle of Long, Long Island? Uh, probably Washington's most disastrous defeat as an uh, army commander. Uh, the British overwhelmed the Americans. They were able to retreat uh, almost intact, mostly intact, uh, to Manhattan. Uh, The British followed, pursued them up Manhattan. Uh, Several other battles, the British made amphibious landing at Kipps Bay. The Americans were able to check their advance somewhat at Harlem Heights, uh, but then uh, the the war continued with the battles along uh, White Plains and uh, uh, Fort Washington in New York. Uh, the British uh, were able to push the Americans completely out of New York, and Washington and his army retreated across New Jersey, pursued by the British, uh, and they finally stopped after they crossed the Delaware in Pennsylvania. So what was happening to the army at the time? <clears throat> I mean, we've got these militias. We've got the Continental Army. They're in full retreat, basically. They're in full retreat, and the, the U.S. went through three different armies in this period. Uh, the first establishment was when the uh, Continental Army is first established and, and the Massachusetts Army of Observation that we talked about last time. Uh, the, their men's enlistments run out. Uh, at the end of 1775, uh, the second establishment only required men to enlist for one year. Mm-hmm. And as the seven, year 1776 is ending, their enlistments are also ending. So the army is dissolving right underneath of Washington's eyes. Yeah. Uh, and the third establishment is created in September of 1776, but mm-hmm. it's only had started recruiting. So most of those men haven't arrived at the army yet. And with <clears throat> the army in, in- kind of full retreat like that, did a lot of people have faith in the army at the time? What was the morale like? Morale was sinking. Uh, A lot of people were um, rethinking, having favored uh, uh, independence. Um, People in New Jersey who had uh, been on the Patriot side and Mm -hmm. were uh, pretty mean to some of their loyalist neighbors Mm -hmm. were now feeling the reverse as the British Army uh, started to occupy parts of New Jersey, and morale was at a low point. It looked like the British might continue uh, to Philadelphia, so Congress relocated to Baltimore uh, in, in December, mm-hmm. and things were looking pretty bleak for the American cause. 
Yeah, so then we get into the winter, right? So um, <clears throat> fighting generally stops uh, at that time. Generally in those days, an army would go into winter quarters uh, where they would continue training. They may conduct some small operations, uh, patrol and things like that. But basically they uh, went into quarters, remained on defensive with the, to consolidate their, their hold. And that's what brings a brigade of Hessian soldiers to Trenton, New Jersey, mm -hmm. right across uh, the river from Pennsylvania. Um, they are there to occupy that part of New Jersey and to establish an outpost uh, of the area that's occupied occupied by the Crown forces. So things are kind of looking bleak for the, uh, the American army at this point. It was a dark winter. <clears throat> yeah. So and because of that, Washington realizes some, he needs to do something. He needs to take action of some sort. So what does he do? Uh, Washington is very combative. We usually don't get him, give him credit for that. Uh, but he decides to go on the offensive. Uh, so he musters what continental forces he can that he has at his disposal. He calls on the assistance of militia. Uh, they cross the Delaware River on the night of Christmas, 1776. Early in the morning of uh, the 26th, they attack the, the, the Hessian outpost at Trenton. Uh, they're able to overwhelm them. The Americans have about uh, 2,500 men on the field, 18 pieces of artillery. Uh, the British have about a th uh, British. The Hessians have about a thousand with maybe four to six pieces of artillery. Complete victory for the Americans. Mm -hmm. They capture about 800 and some odd Hessians, uh, march them back across uh, the, uh, the Delaware, march them through Philadelphia on the way to prisoner of war camps. Mm -hmm. The army returns to the Pennsylvania side and looks to its falling apart, essentially, uh, as enlistments run out. Oh, wow. So in spite of that victory, enlistments are running out. Um, right. They're losing people again? They know the army is losing people. The third establishment soldiers, most of them have not got there yet. Washington knows that unless he does something, the, hmm. the victory at Trenton will only be considered a raid, a temporary right. uh, a, a victory uh, to, to, to advance, to, uh, to enhance what he had gained at Trenton. He knows he has to attack again. So he plans to cross the, the Delaware again to Trenton hmm. once more. Uh, he cajoles a lot of men to extend their enlistments uh, with uh, offers of bounties or, or bonuses. Um, they cross over. The British react by trying to pin him against the Delaware River at Trenton. Uh, he's able to move around their flank and continue to advance into New Jersey. And Georgia. when is this? What, what time frame? This is uh, the, the, the 2nd of January. 1777. Oh, wow. So still winter. Yes. So he's able to go around the flank of the British and head into the interior of New Jersey. He meets a, a rear guard of British that are coming to reinforce those at Trenton, and they fight the Battle of Princeton on the 3rd of January. Uh, overwhelming victory for the Americans, uh, Continentals, as well as militia on the field. Uh, the Continental Army continues and goes into its own winter quarters at Morristown uh, mm. for the rest of the winter of 1777. And and engage in small operations from there for the to the beginning of the 1777. So Washington was taking a lot of risks here. He I mean, he was uh, maybe not as strong as as the British. Um, was there pushback? Were these I mean were these tactics? I mean, I'm looking back on them. Yeah, they they worked out well, but. Um, what did his contemporaries uh, think? Uh, he had a lot of critics. Some people were thinking, why did we pick this guy as the mm -hmm. commanding general? Uh, mm -hmm. And there are some generals that want to take his place, such as Charles Lee, who got captured during the retreat across New Jersey, by the way. But there are other officers who think, hey, I would do a better job than this guy. 
Mm-hmm. And there's some politicians in the Congress who are thinking the same thing. Why did we pick Washington to command this army? All he's done is lose since he took over. Yeah. But he fought back against uh, all that criticism. He did what he thought needed to be done. Yes, the surprise at Trenton and the victory at Princeton, uh, he, he gains a reputation as being a winner. And nothing helps an army trying to recruit better than an army that's winning. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that really helped out the recruiting in the early months of 1777. So then moving into 1777, um, well, they come out of winter quarters. What, what takes place? Well, the British are launching uh, their big plan to end the war in 1777. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at how they would write those numbers, 1777, in their handwriting, looks like a row of gallows. So it's called Year of the Hangman, because all of what oh, we now call our founding fathers would have been hanged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a British invasion led by a Lieutenant General Burgoyne from Canada is coming down the Lake Champlain, the Richelieu River to, to the Hudson. Uh, General uh, Howe in New York says he's told to support it, but he's also given permission to attack Philadelphia, this the erstwhile American capital. So he launches an invasion, defeats Washington at the Battle of Brandywine, uh, and is able to occupy Philadelphia. Uh, wow. The Congress relocates to York. Um, and, and so the British think they won the war. British think they won a war, but in October, uh, not only does Burgoyne surrender at Saratoga, but Washington Mm -hmm. leads a surprise counterattack that almost routes the best units in the British Army at the Battle of Germantown in early October as well. So this this shows the British that the Americans still have a lot of fight in them. Mm -hmm. We may occupy their capital, but we haven't destroyed their army, which is is the linchpin uh, of the whole war. Right. So— so the British are, are in Philadelphia, um, and it's almost an empty victory for them then. It is a very empty victory because, like I said, Washington's army is only 20 miles away at Valley Forge and is harassing their foraging parties, trying to gather food uh, and provisions uh, because they can't bring everything in by sea. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, they're trying to wear them down. Their logistics, their uh, food and, and uh, other supplies. But at the same time, they're trying to build up their own. Exactly. And the Americans are having a tough time at first, but Nathaniel Green takes over as quartermaster general. Mm -hmm. He straightens out a lot of the logistical problems. Tactically, the army improves a great deal at Valley Forge, uh, particularly with this uh, uh, volunteer that comes to say, I'll serve as a volunteer, meaning non-paid in those days, major Mm -hmm. general, Mm -hmm. if you give me the rank of inspector general. Well, his name is von Steuben. And he sets a new training program for the Continental Army. It standardizes the training because a lot of regiments use different manuals uh, as they trained. He standardizes that. He puts them through their paces. He organizes them better. And when the Army marches out of Valley Forge in June, it is a much better, a much more professional, a much more efficient fighting force than it went into Valley Forge in December of 1776. Right. But let's talk a little bit more about uh, Valley Valley Forge, you know, it, it, it's known for the harsh conditions um, that year. So what, what besides the, the new training from von Steuben, what did the American Army go through? Did we lose soldiers uh, at the same time? Uh, 
we were losing soldiers mainly through sickness and disease being mm-hmm. in winter quarters uh, because it was a pretty, like you said, a pretty rough winter. We shouldn't get the idea that it snowed all the time. There's probably more rain, but, you know, paintings mm-hmm. of Valley Forge in the snow are much more sellable than Valley Forge in the mud. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the Army weathered that. And I think one of the things that bonds Washington and many of his senior officers to the soldiers is they stay in camp. Previously, you know, a lot of the senior officers would go on furlough during the winter and the soldiers would stay in camp for the winter, but Washington stays in camp. And so does Knox and some of the other general officers. And that bonds the army together like it had not been before. And besides the soldiers being much better organized and trained, what about the officers? Talk to me about who the officers were, the key officers, and how did they evolve as a staff? Well, the officers become much more professional than they had been before. Some of them had experience in the militia. Some had experience in provincial forces or the British Army during the previous war. But we have officers like Anthony Wayne, who really comes into his mm-hmm. own as a hard-driving, aggressive officer. Uh, Nathaniel Green, um, who was raised a, a Quaker but joins the militia anyway, mm-hmm. uh, becomes one of Washington's most trusted subordinates. He, he established that reputation uh, even before Valley Forge. Henry Knox, the commander of the artillery, uh, is also seen as an expert, and he He's getting better at his craft, uh, managing the artillery as well. So, and we also get some volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often think of Lafayette as being a French officer, but we have to remember that he might have been French by nationality, but he was a major general in the U.S. Army. And then, of course, you know, I bring him up because uh, the popularity these days because of the musical, but Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton is a lieutenant colonel. He's on Washington's staff. He's one of his trusted aides. Um, mm-hmm. so, so Washington bounces ideas off of him. Washington writes down his correspondence uh, and makes sure that the, the proper officers get the copies that, are, that they're supposed to. And he really learns – he had been a captain in the artillery before this, but mm-hmm. he really learns managing an army there by being on Washington's staff, or what's called the military family. Yeah. And all right. So now uh, moving forward then out of Valley Forge, you know, we're in uh, 1778 now. Right. Early 1778. And something that the uh, American army had been wanting for a long time takes place. Yeah. They want to get the British on the field of battle in an open battle to test out uh, their their improved status. Uh, the British evacuate Boston, uh, Boston, Philadelphia. Uh, the Americans reoccupy Boston. In the meantime, I'm sorry, yeah, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, General Clinton has assumed command of the British Army because Howe has resigned. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the French come into the war in February of 1778, it's a whole new war. Mm-hmm. Uh, so British have to change their strategy. So the British government orders Clinton to evacuate Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia, and go to New York. So they ship off most of the, a lot of their supplies, the loyalist refugees and the soldiers' families go by sea. The army goes by land. They have to march across New Jersey to Sandy Hook, where they'll pick, be picked up by the Royal Navy there. Mm. On the way, Washington wants to bring them to battle. So as they're following the British army across uh, New Jersey, the Americans take the opportunity to attack the rear guard at a place called Monmouth Courthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the battle lasts all day and into the night. The Americans hold their ground. Uh, tactically, it's a draw, but in the, at, the, at night, the British resume their retreat to Sandy Hook. The Americans are able to claim victory because they retain the field. And mm-hmm. it's a very big 
morale boost to the American army. How does it affect the army as, as far as, are they getting more people, um, morale? Uh, morale skyrockets, uh, but by this point, you know, the, 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 the people are starting to tire of the war, so it's mm. hard to get recruits, but the recruits they have uh, and the soldiers they have in the mm. army have high morale, they're very cohesive, uh, they're very well trained, and they're in it for, for the, the duration of the war, basically. And now with the French as our allies in, in this war, um, you mentioned before that it's, 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 a, it's a whole new war. It, it, it's the French participation has, has really changed the nature of the war for the British. Talk, to, talk about a little about that. Well, the French had always given supplies uh, covertly to the mm-hmm. Americans, but now in February of 1778, they uh, sign an alliance with the new United States, and that essentially puts them at war with Great Britain. Britain responds by declaring war. Britain now is facing not a regional conflict with rebellion of, of the colonies, but now they're facing a near-peer adversary in the French uh, as well. So they not only have to suppress the rebellion here, uh, but they also have to defend the freedom of the seas because they, mm-hmm. de- they rely on commerce. They have to defend the homeland from French invasion. Uh, they have to defend their other colonies, particularly in the West Indies. Um, they also have holdings in Africa and on the subcontinent mm-hmm. of India. So now for the British, they're facing a a global conflict, not just this regional war. Yeah, and and in some ways, I I don't know if this would be correct to say that the the fight in the colonies was – was it – would you say it was was a global fight because of – now you had the French there um, and in addition you have – you have Indians, American Indians fighting on both sides. Yeah, American think. Indians on both sides. Uh, I like to point out the example of the Six Nations of Iroquois, probably the most dominant military, political, uh, Indian polity in, in this part of North America. So out of the Six Nations, you have the Mohawk, the Seneca, the Cayuga, and the Onondaga are British allies. But the other two uh, nations, the Oneida and the Tuscarora, are U.S. allies. And we often talk about uh, the Revolutionary War being a civil war between loyalist and patriot Americans. Well, at the Battle of Oriskany, it becomes a civil war among the Iroquois, where you have Mohawks and Seneca primarily on one side and Oneidas on the other. And in fact, General Philip Schuyler, who tries to arrange a council with the Indians to get them, the entire Six Nations, to return to neutrality, sends a a wampum belt to the Seneca and they return it saying, we're not going to talk the Oneida while their hatchets are still buried in our back. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and that's fascinating. That's a that's a piece I didn't uh, I, I didn't know um, um, about the Revolutionary War. So at, at this point here, uh, by the end of 1778, um, the uh, um, Washington and the uh, the American Army had significant victory. But and I and, and I think you hate this term. It's 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 become almost a stalemate. There's still some small battles and skirmishes going on in the north. But it's become much more of a stalemate in, in the north. It's become pretty static. Uh, the British need to hold on to New York because it's their principal military, political, naval base in, in North America, at least this part of North America. So they look to the south because they believe there's more loyalist support there. But that doesn't mean things just stop mm-hmm. in the northern part uh, right. uh, of the country. Um, you still have engagements in 1779 at Stony Point and at Paulus Hook. Uh, the, the U.S. Army launched 
which is a, a, a campaign against the Six Nations of Iroquois that are on the British side mm-hmm. uh, that takes place most of the summer of 1779. In 1780, General von Nipphausen, while the war is going on in the south, uh, he's leading an expedition to try to take the American supplies and camp at uh, Morristown. And on the way, they fight the battles uh, of Connecticut Farms and Springfield. So it's erroneous to say that nothing was mm-hmm. going on. Right. Well, th- well thanks, Len. And I, I think uh, this next episode that we're going to get into, uh, we're going to cover the, the war in the South. Uh, the, the, southern, the Southern Campaign, I think is what uh, you call it. So we'll, we'll cover that in the next one. But thanks so much for all these insights. And now, uh, again, as we're ending uh, this episode, we want to get back to our hua or our huzzah trivia uh, do you have a piece of trivia for us about this era? Yeah, one that I've already mentioned is that we often think of Lafayette as a French officer, mm-hmm. um, but he was a major general in the U.S. Army. At Stony Point, it's his corps of light. Well, he'll eventually assume command of the Corps of Light Infantry, but Anthony Wayne leads the attack. Mm-hmm. So the, the Corps of Light Infantry really comes into its own in 1779 mm-hmm. and establishes a lot of the traditions that we still hold in, in the Army, particularly Hua, <laughs> the bayonet charge. <laughs> All right, right. Huzzah. And, you know, an interesting note about Lafayette. How old was he when he came over here and volunteered? Oh, he was only like 21 or so. Yeah. Uh, very young. A young aristocrat. Paid his own way to come here. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, yeah, just a fascinating character, I think, uh, from, from that era. Well, Glenn, thank you so much. I, I appreciate all your, your insights uh, in this episode as well as, as the previous one uh, about the American – excuse me, the Revolutionary War and, um, and these, uh, the first two phases uh, um, of our discussion. And uh, so thank you very much, Glenn. Great to have you here. Thank you, Lee. Now, if you uh, – folks, if you want to learn more about the Am- American Revolution – Um, or Army history in general, I encourage you to explore our website at history.army.mil. And if you want to experience Army history every day, then visit our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you like and share them so that we can share Army history with more people. Please join us every week on this podcast for more in-depth discussions about Army history as we cover topics from all eras of U.S. Army history. Thank you for joining us today on the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. For the Center of Military History, I'm Lee Reynolds. And until next time, we're history. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or opinions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. For more information about the Army's proud history and heritage, go to history.army.mil.com.